Hello, all my Remnant Bitcoin listeners. I'm super excited to tell you about the Bitcoin 2022 conference. We'll be celebrating it over April 6th through 9th uh, with four different days. So the first day will be Industry Day and then followed by two main events with speakers on the next two days. And then the final day will be a Bitcoin culture meets Coachella vibe sound money music festival. So general admissions to the conference right now start at $399. Industry Day starts at $8.99, and the festival passed to the Sound Money Music Festival, $99. But if you use my code CAS10, you'll get 10% off the cost of that ticket, or you're welcome to use the link below down in the description. Guys, you're going to want to be there. This conference was badass last year, surrounded by some of the smartest people in the world, just talking about ideas and Bitcoin the whole time. This year is going to be even better. We're going for 35 to 50,000 people. So sign up now. Uh, use my code CAS10. You'll get 10% off the cost of the ticket. I'll see you there. What is up? Welcome to the 26th episode of Down the Rabbit Hole. This time I sat down with Pablo and we started the conversation around rock climbing, actually. So Pablo uh, lives in Central America and has been rock climbing for, I think he said, eight years. Um, we talk about the sort of instincts and skills needed to climb under the threat of constant death um, and how that relates back to Bitcoin and this sort of innate uh, quality that Bitcoiners have that coincides with rock climbing. So that was pretty cool. And then we went into uh, language and how we're seeing a bifurcation of society where we're hard forking into not being able to even speak to each other. Not that we can't get along with each other, that's part of the reason, but also the bedrock of uh, our framework and principles and operating system of money, and money is ultimately just another communication layer. So we are, by definition, uh, having, a trouble, having trouble understanding each other, from Bitcoiners to the fiat standard. Uh, we got, touched on the remnant went deep into uh, the remnant versus the masses and Bitcoin toxicity and CBDCs, the idea of the state and uh, sort of what the future is going to look like. So this is some deep remnant energy. Uh, hope you guys enjoy this episode. Listening to Down the Rabbit Hole, your favorite Bitcoin podcast. I don't want to go among mad people. Oh, you can't help that. Most everyone's mad. <laughs> Pablo, what's up? Welcome to Down the Rabbit Hole. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing awesome. Um, so we have conversations all the time and we always get deep into the weeds. I love speaking to you and I hope it goes as well as our unrecorded conversations because those are freaking epic every time we have those. <laughs> that, that would be a, a very uh, ambitious saying. <laughs> <laughs> conversations are just naturally emergent. So there's no way this is going to be better than our, just our converse, our spontaneous conversations, but let's dig into, um, Let's start with rock climbing. So tell me about, uh, you know, how you got started with this and, you know, your thoughts on how it relates to Bitcoin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started climbing way before I've ever known about Bitcoin. And 
in a very similar way to Bitcoin, it ended up capturing my my attention, my energy, and my imagination for past uh, probably eighty years or so. And um, yeah, I, I usually explain to explain to Bitcoiners my passion for for rock climbing, saying that I'm as much a Bitcoiner as I am a, a rock climber, and I explain to uh, to rock climbers my passion for Bitcoin in the same way <laughs> because both are are um practices that capture everything from you right uh you go to sleep and you're thinking about bitcoin and you wake up um just thinking about all the different aspects and you spend a bunch of uh, mental cycles uh on bitcoin and rock climbing is very very similar like um Climbers tend to um, tend to optimize their life uh, to to um, have as much climbing time as humanly possible, um, and yeah, it's the center of your. It becomes the center of your life. And um, I've been playing with the idea that that um, I, I don't know if you want to first introduce, put a question out there, or if you just want me to go. Go on. No, just go ahead and go on. All right, all right. Um, so I, I've been playing with this idea that that there is some parallelism between uh, between rock climbing and, and Bitcoin. Uh, my <laughs> the main reason is because I want more more Bitcoiners to to go rock climbing, so I have more uh, <laughs> more climbing Bitcoiner buddies. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely one hundred percent selfish. Uh, <laughs> but rock climbing has something very very special. Um, because climbing, uh, particular sport climbing, uh, which is my favorite style of climbing, um, climbing puts you in, uh, in contact with, with very, uh, visceral emotions, right? So the fear of falling to death is, is in every single person, whoever doesn't have that type of fear, uh, usually doesn't live for too long. <laughs> so, so rock climbing exposes you to something that would normally be um, a fight or flight situation. Um, pretty much every single time you go climbing, right? You are you are exposed to this situation where your body and sometimes even your mind thinks that um, you might be close to death, and it's it's a very um, it's a very very empowering uh, process to to be able to perform at your fucking very very best uh, at the just the tip of your skill and genetic potential uh, to be able to perform regardless of that fear uh, that that sensation that you are about to be seriously injured and you are still able to keep your focus. And, and in a way, um, it's, it's similar, <laughs> it's similar to hodling Bitcoin, right? <laughs> when you're seeing, you're seeing your, your purchasing power, uh, if you want to put it in that, those terms, um, just crushing and you're sticking with your truth because you know, you know, you know, you have a thesis, um, and you are keeping your energy focused on on performing and being the 
fucking best possible version of yourself you can you can possibly be uh regardless of all these emotions that are screaming at you um so in a way i think i think um climbing it's a it's a good metaphor and we were before starting the recording we were talking about um the um introducing the concept of the remnant uh, that Svetsky has been uh Svetsky and francis have been introducing into our into our vocabulary <laughs> and and if you think about it the remnant is someone that has a thesis and the remnant is um is not yielding to what the um the status quo is it's not yielding it's not just meeting you halfway there and saying oh yeah that's a good point you know and the truth is <laughs> a, a favorite a pet peeve of mine the truth is someone in the middle <laughs> i hate that fucking phrase <laughs> um <laughs> it's definitely not you know it's uh, it's 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 not it's not why why would it be you know <laughs> you can introduce you can introduce a, a fucking retarded opinion and they well the truth is someone in the middle so you can just move the move the middle closer to to um to uh to a fiat reality <laughs> <laughs> and so in, in a way in a way um the remnant has to have the uh, mental and and physical fortitude to be able to withstand um everybody else saying well no you sh you shouldn't be too radical no that's yeah that's it's too much you know um you should you should um meet the people in the middle and um tailor your your views and tailor your speech to um to to make make your message more popular um and in that way that's why i think i mean so powerful because you have to have a, a shitload of mental fortitude to be able to withstand everybody else telling you nope 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 you shouldn't do that no that's wrong um if you if you uh go through a process of of um of serving reality and you reach conclusions you should stick to your to those conclusions you know if 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 the truth in the ground or if your if your opinion changes um it's of course perfectly uh, understandable and and desirable to to change those conclusions but if the only reason you're changing a conclusion is because someone told you that you're too toxic <laughs> <laughs> uh and that you should be more open minded <laughs> um yeah sticking to to your guns and sticking to your your opinion is uh it's not a it's not an easy task absolutely not so what do you think is different maybe there's nothing inherently different about climbing but i've heard the same metaphor maybe francis was the one that was telling me this about surfing is very similar you're on you're in the flow mm -hmm. state uh you're out of your natural element because you know we're human beings we don't just live in the water and we're not used to it and we're have you have to be focused to the point of this is survival if i get blindsided mm -hmm. by this wave and i'm too far out you know it could knock me out or you know i could dr or the yeah. element of drowning um so is that is that very similar in, in climbing and how is that different than just uh you know playing at a very elite or high level sport where you have s similar threats but obviously maybe not the threat of dying yeah, I think the threat of dying is quite important to shape your 
to shape your um, your views um, because it's not the same. I mean, I, I when I was a kid, I played tennis um, in a pseudo <laughs> professional capacity. Um, so I play like the Grand Slams for kids, like quote unquote Grand Slams for for kids, and travel many, many, uh, many, many different countries just um, focusing on 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 tennis. And it's it's it doesn't sharpen your your um, your mental fortitude. Tennis is also a very very mental game, but it's um, it's 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 a completely different thing. But when you um, Actually, we we talked about this with with Francis because I was talking about climbing with him, and he was also mentioning the same idea of surfing. And one thing that is quite interesting to me is that many of my uh, my climbing friends are when they can't climb because of the weather, or you know what, whatever it might be, um, they go surfing. And there are many. It's very common for rock climbers to be uh, very much into surfing, and and yeah, I think I think um, what the 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 um, the mental state where you have to perform under that that you know your body yelling at you, stop doing what you're doing, you're going to die, um, and particularly going into into the field. So I, the way I the way I I imagine it is when um, if you there, there's this um, there's this thing called the uh, the warriors, the peaceful warrior way or path or something like that, and it's uh, a whole philosophy written by um, by samurais, um, and it's the idea that you voluntarily go out into a field, into a duel, for example, and you are going to you go in fully aware that you might die, and if your attention is on that the likelihood or the possibility of that outcome, you start, uh, the, the, the way I, I phrase that is that you start leaking power. You start your, um, instead of being focused on how you need to perform, you're focused on avoiding death. Um, and in, in, in climbing, um, and I'm, I'm not going to talk about surfing too much because I've surfed like twice in my life and it wasn't, uh, <laughs> it wasn't good. One of, one of those times was, was with, uh, with Mark and Mark made a video on how pretty much we almost all drowned. I saw that. It was funny. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> and, um, so, so, but, but in, in climbing it's very interesting because when you, when you notice, uh, the fear and you engage with with that fear for a split second, you usually fall. You usually take, you know, especially when you are climbing very far above the last protection. So you're risking, you know, a pretty large fall. Uh, and it's very usually a very uncomfortable sensation. Um, you, you never, uh, at least in, in my experience, you never like it, you know, you never enjoy it because your focus is on just doing the really hard moves. And all of the sudden you are out of control, just falling. Uh, you have no idea in which position and, you know, how far you're going to go. Um, so, yeah, usually when the moment your mind shifts attention, you just start just going, just falling. And it, it's very, very interesting because you can tell. And it, usually you can also, when you are, when you, someone else is climbing, uh, like with, this happens with friend of mine that I, I know how they climb. And usually if I'm watching them climb, I can tell the moment they started leaking power 
And, you know, I can tell them, dude, when you did this one move with, you know, like your left hand going to this thing, what, ha what happened in your mind? And they can usually tell you, yeah, I started thinking, oh, I'm not in the right position. Oh, no, I think I'm going to fall or, you know, or, oh, shit, I'm, <laughs> I'm really far about my last protection, you know. And it's just a split second, you know, a split second that will completely change your performance. That's interesting. I feel like that relates to how the world is right now that maybe not, I don't know, but it's people right now are f spending their energy um, instead of being focused on, you know, maybe starting a business or investing the time into learning about Bitcoin and building up a Bitcoin position. They're focused on <laughs> avoiding death uh, by worrying about COVID. Uh, 100%, 100%. Yeah, it's the, the difference between playing to win and playing to not lose, right? Exactly. So let's get into some of the things you've been writing about, um, specifically as, as Bitcoin relates to money as an operating system and how language shapes the worldview. So I don't know if that's the right way to pose the question, but I'll, I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've been thinking, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about, about language, and um, I read, I read um, um, Sheldon Peterson's book um, on um, Twelve Rules for Life. I don't know, like two years ago or whenever it was. And one of the chapters is that you should be very precise with your speech, and that's something that I admire of him a, a lot because he is. Uh, when he uses the, the words he he uses, if you like, if you watch him speak and you watch the video and you pause through the different sentences, you've noticed uh, you would notice that he he's very determined with the words that he uses. Um, and I think I think if you think about money as a communication device, right? Which money is the is the <laughs> all Bitcoiners have 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 been exposed to this idea of money as a, as a way to move information about the, the state of the world and the uh, distortions that fiat introduces. And, and I've been thinking a lot about what happens when you have a money that is mathematically proved that you cannot distort it and it confronts uh, a money that is by its very nature prone to distortions. And we are at a, at a moment in time when the distortions are just <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, if you, if you would tell uh, the people in 2008 the, the policies that had been enacted in 2020 and 2021, <laughs> no one would believe you. Uh, and now it's just... Uh, is is just uh, no one is surprised by but the things that are happening, and I've been thinking a lot about what happens when when um, CBDC. So I'm I'm from Argentina, and um, and in Argentina, so we have <laughs> we still have the the peso, right? The Argentinian peso, um, and usually what people do when they try to escape the inflation and escape. Uh, all the um, all the policies from the uh, corrupt government, they they buy dollars. So in Argentina, the hard asset is dollar. Uh, so 
what the Argentinian government has been doing for the past uh, maybe five years uh, is when it started to get really dicey is um, try to prevent people from buying dollars. So I think it was like, uh, I don't know, a few years ago that they said, well, no one can buy more than a thousand bucks a month. Um, and then they changed it to $200 a month. And then they added a tax on top of that. So they did a bunch of things. And in reality, when you go to the bank, you cannot actually purchase the, the dollar. So it's a theoretically possible, but it's not practical practically possible. Um, so in, in my experience, there is a, such a huge, huge incentive for governments to, to prevent people from escaping, escaping the system they are imposing. But uh, usually there are ways of escaping, right? Because the, the moment that you have physical cash and, you know, it's, um, it's, it's cash that you can take it from one person to another person and there is no intermediary. Um, even if the Argentinian government wants people, uh, wants to prevent people from transforming their Argentinian pesos into dollars, you can do it on the, on the banking system, but you can go to what's called cuevas. So like caves where you can, where you can just do the trade, uh, on the quote unquote black market. But what happens when you introduce CBDCs where the government can perfectly, perfectly be the middleman in every single tra uh, transaction on the economy? So it, it would be, it's, there, 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 there is the incentive to do it, but it was technically impossible to completely stop it. But CBDCs, they changed that. So CBDCs make it technically possible and, and not even hard, right? <laughs> if, the, if the central bank of, of, of each country is in the middle of each single transaction and they have to approve the transaction, um, then it's as easy as saying, no, you cannot, you cannot do this transaction. So my, my thesis is that um, throughout, the, throughout the world, um, the introduction of CBDCs will be the point in time where Bitcoin and fiat stops being interoperable. So up till now, the moment that Bitcoin got a, got a market price in, in fiat terms, um, the uh, Bitcoin and fiat has been interoperable. You, can, you could go from one system to the next, so you can buy and sell easily. The moment that CBDCs are the only way to use fiat, that is completely, completely preventable and it will break. So if we go back to the idea that money is language, money is the, the, basic, uh, the basis of, of uh, civilization because it's the way that humans interact at, at scale. Um, what I imagine th uh, happening, my thesis is that there are two systems breaking apart. It's, 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 a, it's a perfect hard fork basically where you cannot go from one system to the other system anymore. You can now, but there is a point in time where that's not possible anymore. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the basis of, of my thesis. So let's, let's dig a little deeper into that. I'm glad you touched on CBDCs because this is something I haven't talked about a lot on this podcast, but I'd like to start digging into more, uh, you know, about what this is going to look like. I feel like Bitcoiners are 
obviously, on every issue. I feel like we, we were paying attention to it before the masses. This is just inherently being part of the remnant. And, uh, you know, we're, we're signaling that what could come along with central bank digital currencies, like you said, is a complete bifurcation of society. Um, so if you, ha- if you don't even have the option to buy Bitcoin with your central bank digital currency, how do you become on the Bitcoin standard? And so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, it's it's actually why I think Bitcoin will never reach ten million dollars or a million, maybe not even a million dollars. Uh, Bitcoin will have a non-available price before ten million dollars. A non-available price. That's an interesting way to phrase that. Yeah, it's not zero. It's not ten million or you know a million or whatever it might be. It's it's not a number anymore. It's 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 there is no conversion from one system to the other system. I completely I could see that happening. the The thing that I think stands a little bit in the way of that is if we if we hold out on CBDCs long enough, that Bitcoin reaches a critical point in adoption. So I think the next you know five years are are crucial. And, you know, Lazer's talked about this a lot. Um, Sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, yeah. I I was just I was just going to agree that it's uh, absolutely depends on how fast the uh, central government, central banks move on on CBDCs. So do you think the masses are going to welcome these this? (laughs) <laughs> so, so I think um, it's it's interesting because I think um, when I talk to uh, to the ma- to like people um, non non full Bitcoiners, um, they usually see CBDCs as this really convenient payment system. Uh, oh well, this it it sounds it sounds really good for them, right? Uh, it sounds more convenient, and I think it's the same the same mistake. Um, the early Bitcoiners did thinking of Bitcoin as a payment system, you know, and not realizing that the um, the technical the technical um, parameters of Bitcoin, if you will, the technology itself, um, it's it implies uh, implies a, a culture of the money and a, and a, a mecha- different mechanisms. So I think normies. Um, just see CBDCs are nicer or cooler PayPal, you know, in this in that same way, in the same way that early Bitcoiners thought, oh, Bitcoin is like PayPal, but no one can stop it. It's it's so much more than that, right? And now we know that it's so so much more than that. Um, so so yeah, but back to your question. Um, so so the the way I see it is that, and it's actually something that that I saw. In, in Argentina, uh, throughout the past, say, 20 years or so, yeah, probably since, yeah, since um, 1999 or 2000, that the, um, the fork in the society um, was self-referential. So, uh, you know, it's um, so the same concept of an echo chamber is um, the, uh, the divergence between the, the different aspects of society. Um, started so in argentina it would be um the you know the the more collectivist and the individualist they they started not being able to talk to each other and we saw the fragmentation of of families and friends we saw them in like 2010 uh it started to be an effect where people were started breaking 
decades or lifelong relationships because of opposing political views. And I think we are so with uh, with COVID, we we are we we started seeing the exact same thing, right? Relationships that have been there for forever uh, breaking apart. Um, and I think when you ask if the if the masses are going to are going to accept this, um, I think it, we're just going to see the same the same thing. It's just more more of what we've seen with um, with COVID. So if you are leaning more towards individualism, um, you are going to start accepting and embracing Bitcoin much much more much uh, much more easily. Whereas there's a double down of the collectivist and they're going to see any Bitcoin hodler or user as, um, as a terrorist, right? Right. So how long ago did you leave Argentina? Uh, I left um, like uh, eight years ago or so. My family's still there, though. Okay, so your family's still there. So when you say that people used to that they would stop being able to communicate with each other because of politics. Was this particularly related to the money of politics, like not being able to buy dollars or like that, you know, the the, uh, remnant that were like going into these peer-to-peer dark market exchanges in the caves, like they inherently Um, had a different worldview or how how do you mean that they, um, was this just as general politics as it it relates to the Argentinian government? Yeah, that's interesting because it wasn't it wasn't because of the money per se. Uh, so the the politics was first, and then the money was downstream from the politics in the case of Argentina, um, mainly because the restrictions and um, the uh, the the language against the uh, entrepreneurs started before the uh, monetary restrictions. Uh, so there was a there was a bifurcation before. Uh, they started imposing these uh, really uh, strict restrictions on on access to dollars. Okay, so when you talk about this non-available price, it doesn't seem like you have the same uh, thesis as a lot of Bitcoiners that you know eventually it will become the Bitcoin standard. It's more like you're saying that all of humanity's gonna or not yeah humanity's gonna bifurcate essentially. And or hard fork as you described it, and then we'll have just these pockets of you know sovereign remnants that will be on the Bitcoin standard, mm-hmm. and then there'll be a whole yep. nother you know people living in the population centers that are opting into mass surveillance and financial surveillance will be using the Cuckbuck digital currencies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so I, I think um, I, I've been thinking a lot about that, and I think in the end my thesis um, can end up in the same place where um, most Bitcoiners, um, you know, the consensus among, among Bitcoiners, I think maybe the, the it's, it's definitely a might, <laughs> um, but, um, but I think the road is just a bit different. Um, so I, I've been thinking, you know, this uh, idea that hyper-Bitcoinization is, is here, it's just uh, not evenly distributed. Um, I, I think I 100% agree with that, with that idea. Um, so, <laughs> to me, what's very interesting is that the uh, the most productive people in society uh, will feel, you know, like the Michael Saylors of the world, <laughs> for example, um, will feel the uh, the need 
for Bitcoin and will understand the uh, idea of Bitcoin the most. Um, so I think throughout the next few years, we're going to see more and more productive people coming in, not because of the uh, NGU, you know, not because of the price of Bitcoin going up, but because of the uh, mechanisms of liberty that Bitcoin um, has hard-coded in, into the system. Um, so, so I think you have a, a very interesting, um, a very interesting um, Atlas Shrugged style <laughs> bifurcation where you, you have the most productive people having an increasing, uh, again, a self-referential uh, incentive to go operate on the Bitcoin economy and the Bitcoin economy is just growing in size, not, not just the price of Bitcoin itself, but the, the economy of Bitcoin growing exponentially, exponentially faster and faster and faster. Um, if you play out that thesis, um, you get, and it's, a, it's also a very um, sovereign individual kind of thesis where the most productive people opt out and the people that are left behind uh, the most productive people that are left behind are now the ones that are burdened with the uh, restrictions and taxes and and all all the, the full weight of the uh, of the state. So the people that are left behind and I we just emigrated from from Spain um, and we've been seeing this same the same thing like the sovereign individual thesis just playing out in front of our eyes because we are in touch with. Um, entrepreneurs and friends from back uh, back in Spain who are living, people that have lived the, their entire lives, they are not interested in uh, living abroad, but the full weight of the state is just clamping down on them. So the incentives keep increasing. So each layer of the most, if you, if you visualize society as layers of the most productive people, the first layer is getting the uh, the hardest restrictions and the least benefits. So the incentive to live is higher and higher and higher. So if you can just opt out into Bitcoin, the incentive is really hard, it's really strong. So it it starts I, the way I see it is it's like a vacuum that it starts sucking the productive people, and the people that are left behind are just the unproductive or the least productive people of the economy. Um, and if you play if you play that out, you would see small nations uh, or even small states of quote unquote bitcoiners or you know individualist people, and then massive apparatus of of state with um, and and this is where my my why I said it might play out like most uh, like the consensus of, of bitcoiners is that the the states that are being depleted of productivity are the states that have the weapons and the strong military. Um, so that's that's the the point where I don't know how it plays out. Yeah, I, I struggle with that as well. Like <laughs> the idea that we're all gonna you know just go off and live in a village somewhere, and that they aren't gonna like. 
I mean, they're still going to have the military equipment that they have now, even if we, even if they don't have near the money, you know, to raise through taxes or whatever, they print it at infinitum and, you know, it's worth nothing. They still have all of that equipment and they still have the drones and the foot soldiers. I mean, those is synonymous uh, to, to go and, you know, potentially use that force to try to bring it back to the state. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, if you see what happened um, after after the Cold War uh, supposedly ended, um, you see that the USSR uh, or Russia is uh, still uh, <laughs> is still sort of a superpower just because of the uh, arsenal. So I started reading uh, started two days ago reading the Gulag Archipelago. Uh, I don't know if you've read it or not, but. No, no. In the first chapter, he's, he talks about uh, basically being arrested in communist Russia. And he's like, they will come for you, you know, depending on what they thought your threat level was. They would nab these people off the street or they would come in the middle of the night uh, if they didn't want your neighbors to potentially try to help you. And then he goes into this concept where he's like, there was no reason for them to arrest people. They had just arbitrary quotas and they would arrest people that were had not even committed crimes and they would take them literally to the gulags. Um, and this is where that term came from. And so it developed this weird relationship with society where people were living on constant edge and fear of being arrested and they had no idea what that would look like. And so the moment that they actually did get arrested, they were like, they welcomed it. They were like relieved to be literally taken from their families off the street and thrown into like, a four foot cell with five people in it because they no longer had to worry about getting arrested. It's like, <laughs> yeah, there's, there is a, I, there is a psychological concept. I, I don't remember the name of the term, but uh, there's this concept where uncertainty is more uncomfortable than a bad outcome. So usually, even if you get a, like you do a health test or something like that, you, if if the, you are waiting for the result for a long time, you prefer to have a bad result rather than continue the uncertainty. Exactly. And I feel like that, that phenomenon is happening right now with COVID and sort of the response to COVID and, and all of the mandates and all of that stuff because people were like, okay, you know, they were so worried about this happening. They're like, I'm just going to take the vaccine. And I take it. I get it. It's over with. And it's like, surprise, surprise, and the government's saying, no, it's still not over, even if you did this. Um, so people are now having to wrestle with this idea of, you know, they, they basically, uh, you know, they gave up sort of their liberty and their freedom because they were anxious about something potentially happening. And then it happened. But now it's like they have to go back to that same state. So eventually, you know, do, do people like, this is where I'm like, one part of the argument, I could see people start to wake up, and I, I see that every day. They're like, man, I got the first one. I'm not getting five more. I'm not going to keep doing this. And at the same time, there's people like on the other side you know, saying the complete opposite. I don't know what you can speak to about that. No, I, I, think, I think this when you make a decision like this, um, it, it's sort of like a sunk cost, right, where if you've been locked up your home, scared to death of COVID for the past 12 months, it's easier to go a 13th month than to say, oh, well, actually, the last 12 months of my life, I was living a lie. 
and and I'm going to break away right now. Um, so I, I think I think it's like a you know foot of foot in the door kind of situation where you just get a small yes, a small concession for something, and then you can start building on on from from that concession. Um, so yeah, I mean it, it's it's back to the self-referential thing. It's it's a feedback loop, right? Where, I mean, you, we were talking about this. Uh, I think I know what we, you're going to uh, say already. I was thinking the same thing <laughs> about whenever you start working a, a job that provides no value and you subconsciously know you're not doing anything and, and getting paid. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's, it becomes increasingly harder to, to say, well, I've been wasting my time. I've been wasting my life. You know, it's, it's y- y- your reality starts to get distorted to the point where you don't see it you know you don't see it um and 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 that goes back to the uh to the language aspect we were discussing before where your the the, what you're seeing in the world the reality that you're seeing is different for the people that are continuing down the fiat path and the people that have chosen the bitcoin path it's it's uh, those are actually two different perceptions of reality that do not match. And that's why we, you know, the hard fork, this hard fork that I'm talking about, it starts to diverge more and more and more exponentially to the point where you, you cannot, and we're seeing this with COVID, right? We, we are seeing that you cannot talk with the, um, <laughs> the people that are choosing to comply with every single thing. And you see them wearing a mask by themselves in the car, you know, or stuff like that. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, the moment you have, uh, you know, the moment we Bitcoiners, we've, we've stepped out of that and we are not, uh, <laughs> uh, we're not agreeing to comply with that stuff. You, you look at, those, at, at that, those people and you think they have lost their minds. They have lost their minds. And I'm sure, I'm sure, they also think the same thing. They are seeing us not wearing a mask while we are taking a shower. And they're saying, these people are selfish. <laughs> these people are putting my grandma at risk, right? And, and it's, it's, it's such a visceral reaction where you can, it's, it's so overpowering, this emotion of what the hell are they doing? It's so strong that you cannot even articulate it. And, you can, and, the, and, the, and the communication breaks apart. Absolutely. And it, it goes back to the idea of the collective versus the individual. And that's what, it's not even just that, um, the complying part bothers me so much with that, that part definitely bothers me, but it's more of the idea that it's around the idea of the collective that bothers me so much, um, that you have to submit to my, what I believe and if you don't, you know, then you're a threat to everyone else around us and everything like that. It's like it's coming and it's also more most of the time coming from people who don't give a shit about their own personal health. So it's entirely mm-hmm. hypocritical for me to like look at them. It's like, well, you're you're 100 pounds overweight and you're telling me that I'm that I'm the bad person because I'm not wearing a mask. <laughs> yeah. And, and in my experience, when I've spoken uh, about these things with uh, with normies, it, it's it's usually at the end of the line, at the end of the conversation, they they go to the uh, to the idea of well, we just have a different opinion, 
and that's okay. You know, it's like the uh, it's like the Roll Paul kind of speech where oh, it's all okay, it's all good. We just have different points of view. <laughs> the different, the obvious, obvious difference is that I'm not trying to impose my point of view on you, but you are trying to impose your point of view on me. <laughs> yeah, and this is this is the idea of Isaiah's job in like the masses versus the remnant. Yeah, that's why the, the the concept of the remnants is so so important, right? Because uh, <laughs> now we have a we have a a good framework of why you shouldn't alter your your language and you shouldn't dumb down your message. You should just keep your message and make it the strongest signal for the people that will listen without the message being dumbed down. And you want the you want the people that will resonate with that message to to come in. And I mean, when you think about it in terms of Bitcoin, you want the most productive people in society to listen to it, right? And, and uh, something that to me is very interesting when I think about the most productive people, um, there is a, a natural incentive for the wealthiest people, right? For, for I mean, for the cantillionaires, it's, there is a strong incentive to not want to go into 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 the into Bitcoin or to not understand Bitcoin, right? Um, because um, they, uh, even though they are the wealthiest, they are the continuers are the wealthiest not because of their uh, their productivity but because of politics, right? So it's interesting that in a natural way there is not uh, an appeal to um, to basically the leeches. Right. And this is something that gives me a lot of hope because I don't want these people to own Bitcoin. And if they do, I want them to be some of the last people to own Bitcoin because. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> they... Absolutely. The idea, uh, that thing that uh, Spetsky keeps harping on, uh, trying to, tr to, um, to bully uh, Elon Musk and people like that out of their Bitcoin position, man, that's fucking perfect. <laughs> yeah. It's hilarious. Um, and, I think it's interesting to me how like the relationship that somebody or the maybe not relationships, not the right word, but somebody who has, you know, acquired so much wealth that through unproductive means, uh, essentially siphoning out of society um, and to rise in their profession or whatever. I feel like they, are be so, they would be so deeply ingrained in the matrix that they wouldn't be able to escape, right? It goes right back to this idea of the operating system and, and money as language and how that, like, changes your worldview or your reality. Um, but then we see, like, we do see some politicians that are, that are open to the idea of Bitcoin and they actually own real Bitcoin, uh, not like log-scale GBTC bullshit. Um, <laughs> 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 so I don't know maybe I'm just too toxic <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that <laughs> yeah I don't I don't even want to get into that because I I I have no idea where that guy came from everyone's talking about this guy I've seen him on a few like Twitter spaces but I've never I I don't know I haven't engaged with that person I don't know what his deal is though <laughs> So the it's it also this relates to the toxic Bitcoin conversation too, which I I talked about this a little bit with Cretius, um, but Bitcoiners have this you know we call it the immune system, 
but it's it's this idea of bullying people um, based on principles, and we are we're r- relentlessly rigid and and uncompromising as it relates to those principles, especially when it comes to the Bitcoin protocol. Um, you know, I think that a little bit of that is being misconstrued because they're saying, oh, these talks of Bitcoiners have posi- like, you know, their positions on lockdowns or whatever. Um, but I feel like that's so it's so crucial and it's just a natural byproduct of being the remnant. Like you are uncompromising by definition. Yeah. Yeah, I have a, I have a bit of uh... I, I don't know. I have a bit of, um, I guess, a maybe controversial or unpopular, yeah, maybe of a, a bit of an unpopular opinion with regards to the maximalism. Um, I I think um, there there is there is an argument to be made that part of the uh, of the maximalism, and especially coming out of newer Bitcoiners, so like Bitcoiners that started getting into Bitcoin in the past, I don't know, maybe a year or a couple of months. Um, I, I think, I think maximalism is the, uh, is sort of like the, uh, uh, maybe not at the end of the road, but a milestone, right. Um, that you reach to after do, going down a process. Um, Maybe it's just me not being uh, hopeful enough on, on humanity, but I find it really, really, really impressive. Or I don't know, I'm a bit skeptic about the fact that so many people or people are able to reach maximalism without going through like the this shit coinery or multi coiner phase. Um, and I'm wondering because the if you think about it, the, the, the earliest the Bitcoiner you, you become, uh, the more prone to being an ex- extremely disagreeable person and not being moved by just consensus of, of things. Um, and and, and the, the more, quote unquote, mainstream Bitcoin becomes, the least um, need of being a disagreeable person to go into Bitcoin. So... I'm I'm wondering, I'm wondering if there is um there is an argument to be made about the fact that the more recent maximalism maximalists are jumping into that conclusion just because of consensus and and adopting you know the toxic uh, the toxic culture or the toxic behavior without understanding what's actually happening. 100%. I see the same thing. And you see a lot of like, especially in that, you know, that's I tweeted about this yesterday, that like six month to 12 month Bitcoiner that now calls themselves a maximalist on Twitter. And then you start to see through the cracks, like it, Bitcoin will expose you. Yeah. So and then they start yeah. whether it's 100%. whether it's they have a podcast, which you shouldn't even have a podcast if you just figured out Bitcoin. <laughs> Um, and, or they're, you know, trying to teach people and, or they're tweeting about it and you're like, what you're saying is inherently wrong. And they, it's like, um, it became, I definitely think now compared to even like 2017 or like 2015, or even if you got in way earlier than that, like the amount of material and content out there that it 
can take you to becoming a maximalist very early on still does not save the people from the temptation of the other coins and, and figuring it like burning your hand on the stove yourself. Like I feel like it's, they've started to outsource their thoughts and they're saying, Mm -hmm. um, Oh, I'm just going to agree to be a toxic maximalist. And it's really, they're just fucking assholes. Um, and they're really not that smart and they don't know, understand Bitcoin that much, but they have like the loudest and most harsh opinions about it. Um, yeah, and if you think about the um, the appeal of the um, the toxic part of the maximalist, right, and just dunking on people and just going to to Raul Paul's mentions and calling him a fucking shitcoiner and <laughs> how how Ripple treating you and stuff like that, um, you know, it, it's it's fucking funny, right? <laughs> it is. It is so, fun. It, it is. It it is fun. It is. It is fun. Um, and and. I could see the point where that um, appeal to the toxicity part and being like the most sarcastic or being the most trollish um, is it's like a siren call and and uh, a siren a siren song and um, and and the process of thinking why why the maximalism part becomes um, not not as clear right. Um, I don't know. I, w- I was also talking to Gigi and he mentioned that he told me that he receives a ton of messages from people uh, thanking him for his content. And fuck, man, Gigi's, Gigi's writing and Gigi's content is for sure not um, not a, 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 a purely emotional uh, appeal. You know, he, he walks you down why thing like why is it a time chain? Why time the time chain aspects is immersions and all, all the kind of stuff. It's definitely not it's definitely not not easy, but I'm I'm just wondering what's the um the breakdown of new toxic maximalists that have gone through that process and the ones that just fucking skipped and went into Bitcoin Twitter and just trolling people without knowing what the fuck they're talking about. And actually what um you were saying before about the uh, the content, one thing that I've noticed that I, I started um I started just uh, just um, emergently. I started doing is I I started to go back to the archives and reading um, and listening to podcasts from 2014, 2015, and I've I've noticed that the the signal to noise ratio is so so much better than right now. You know, right now there are fucking pieces that are impressive absolutely amazing but going back and seeing what people were writing in um, in 2013 or 2014 or even earlier than that you know in the Nakamoto Institute for example um, it's it's very very enlightening I agree with you I think that what has changed though is the ability to find that signal so I think back then if you didn't know about the things like the Nakamoto Institute and all of that like it, it may have been harder to find it. And I could be speaking, you know, I got in in 2016, so I could be wrong there. But it does seem like it is much easier to find your way into the community now. And that could be what we're seeing with, you know, sort of what we're saying is like this toxicity. Um, it's like these people, maybe they're like loners, like they just don't feel included. And they're like, oh, there's this whole community here. Like I can just like, you know, 
I don't even have to show my real face. I can be this nim and just, you know, sort of have an identity within this group. Maybe I'm wrong there. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> it's funny because I, I discovered, <laughs> I discovered Vic on Twitter. I think in like mid or late 2019, um, I kept hearing, <laughs> I kept hearing references to to Bitcoin Twitter on podcasts like Stefan Liberas and, and stuff like that, <laughs> and I thought they were talking like about a different, you know, a different Twitter. I actually searched for <laughs> Bitcoin Twitter and DuckDuckGo, and I was like, shit, man, it's only fucking Twitter.com coming. <laughs> All right, so where do you want to go from here? Uh, let's let's talk about uh, the idea of the state. So I think you have some interesting thoughts on this as well, like uh, with your experience now living in, in Central America and the state just like doesn't have enough resources to really uh, have control over people's lives. How do you see this, this playing out as we move further down the line? Uh, let's take it in the context of the sovereign individual thesis and that there will be pockets of sovereignty. And then do you see there's, there's going to be like a massive expansion of the state in, in other areas? Through CBDCs yeah, so, um, and things for, like that? Yeah, so for uh, for context, I, I moved away from, I lived for the past eight years in, in Spain. And earlier this year, I moved to Central America um, at the beginning of this year. So it's been, yeah, like, uh, I don't know nine months or so and um yeah one of the things that struck me the most is the <laughs> the difference between uh law in uh here in central america when compared to spain where in uh in spain you can't you can't fucking drive for you know like two miles without running into 16 different traffic cameras and <laughs> speed cameras of every kind and the the state is uh, running helicopters uh, that have a very broad view, so they can they can track movement at um, very very broad scale. And here it's it's incredible because here there are through my day to day life here I don't see like a single traffic. I right now I cannot picture. A single traffic, um, a tra single not traffic camera, traffic light. There are not even traffic lights here. Um, and one of the things that is fucking beautiful is how the traffic here um, just organizes itself completely on the edges. Um, so at the different intersections with no with no traffic light, the people just find a way to to. Um, to um, to drive around traffic uh, in a very spontaneous emergent order kind of way, and it's it's very it's very liberating. And when um, when we moved away from from Spain, me and my family, um, our thesis was that we could try to if our thesis, uh, like a Bitcoiner thesis of what's going to happen uh, in the next. 10 years or so, um, if, if it's correct, the, the world will be very fast changing. And the way we approach it was we can either find a place where we can dig in and 
um, find somewhere that is the most likely to remain free or remain, quote unquote, stable. Or we could assume that figuring out where it's going to be safe, it's not possible and optimize for A, being very flexible. So being able to move away within a day or two days. Uh, so organizing your life in that way. And B, finding a place where it's not that the state uh, is promising, promising, uh, promising to treat you well, but rather a state that doesn't have the wealth and the power to mistreat you. Um, so I'm, I'm very, <laughs> I know you're in Texas and I'm very, I, I find the appeal of Texas. Uh, it, it's very, very strong. And the idea of surrounding yourself with people that will dig in, I, man, I, I'm, I understand the appeal of that. Uh, but definitely the Texas state is, is very, very powerful, right? So I'm concerned about the possibility of the wind changing direction and that power oppressing the people, right? So that's why I think there is some alpha, there is a, some, an, an edge in going to a place where the state is, is just, it's just so mediocre. It doesn't have the capability of tramping down on you. Hmm. So let's take it a different direction here. So what about Bitcoin particularly gives you the most hope in the world right now? Um, so to me, this idea, this, this completely new idea of having a, a, voluntary, a voluntary nation where you can just opt in and you don't have to enforce uh, your views or on anyone, this is something that is completely new. It's something that was not remotely possible at any point in time. Um, and this idea that you can just choose who you interact with and how you store your wealth and how you transact with the people that you choose to transact with, um, that's what gives me the most hope. And fuck, man, Bitcoiners. <laughs> Bitcoiners, I, I've been thinking lately that it might be that the most important uh, invention of Satoshi is actually Bitcoiners <laughs> and not Bitcoin itself. <laughs> that is so true. Um, so true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why, that's what, Jesus, man, when I see people, again, like, uh, like Ragpole uh, saying, oh, Bitcoin is wonderful, but Bitcoiners are the problem. I'm like, dude, you have no fucking clue what you're talking about. You? <laughs> That's because he doesn't even know what a Bitcoiner is. He, and he's never he, actually exactly. interacted even, with them. He's just looking at it solely from an investment thesis. And, yeah, an investment. Yeah, to me, to me, seeing Bitcoin as an investment or understanding Bitcoin as a chart is one of the saddest thing I can possibly think of, right? Because it's like, you are, you see, you see uh, wisdom just lying there and you say, oh, that's, uh, that's cool. That's a cool shape. And you don't read 
you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever wisdom you can get out of it. <laughs> it's it it's really really for me. People that only see Bitcoin as a as a chart is really it's so 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 sad, so sad. Yeah, it is deeply depressing. It's it's easy to suck somebody in that way when you start talking about numbers in the very beginning, but for me, it's it's all about the freedom. Yeah, I I'm actually um very very interested in in what might happen in the in the near future uh, when the main argument to adopt Bitcoin is not that your purchasing power is going up, but rather um, it's a it's about aligning your ethos with the people that you want to transact with and that you want to build a, a nation around. I, I, I can see an argument for the type of people that would um, the number go up argument doesn't resonate with and come in mainly because of um, ideological reasons. And this is particularly the people with like the collectivist ideas and they will be last to Bitcoin. This is like, you know, the yuppie elite I talked with Croesus about. Um, yeah. And actually, I think I think it's it's beautiful that we have this, um, <laughs> this, uh, <laughs> the uh, ESG and um, the uh, Bitcoin is not green and it's not sustainable. Um Dude, I think that is so good that we <laughs> that okay. we have that piece of fat Why? there because it because it, it keeps it's, the wrong it's people out. All the pe- it keeps the wrong people out, man. <laughs> it keeps the wrong people out. It's fucking perfect. Let's let's keep let's keep um let's keep playing that song, dude. <laughs> Did you see? Uh, I think it was like a CNBC article this week that said like fifty percent of young adults have climate change anxiety. Man, it, it is it is really depressing. What has been done? <clears throat> it's fucking criminal, man. Uh, right before leaving Spain, I was uh, I was climbing with this uh, guy. He was probably late twenties, healthy, you know, uh, athletic guy. And um, throughout throughout the lockdowns, he was like, "Oh man, it's so bad that this is happening." And <clears throat> and I think it was around January or February that was some fucking stupid variant like Delta, Delta Plus, uh, COVID super spread or whatever <laughs> uh, variant. <laughs> and and I, I called him and I was like, dude, you want to you wanna go climbing? You know, and we only climb outside. We climb in the rocks. It's not like a climbing gym. Uh, he says, well, actually, I've been thinking that maybe it's not safe to go climbing. Uh, because of this restriction, because of this uh, variant, and I was thinking, this guy, he has, he has been able to keep his sanity, understand that this uh, COVID situation was fucking bullshit from the start, but after some time, he was convinced that a twenty-something healthy athletic uh, person is at risk of dying from from COVID, and. It 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 kind of it kind of affected me personally because I was thinking this person was noticing reality, uh, but after enough lying, he yielded. He uh, he was able to change. His, they were able to change his mind. Yeah, that's that's and, scary. Um, 
it's it's very sad, man. It's very sad. And then I talked to him a few uh, weeks later, and he we were on the phone for like an hour, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm feeling a bit depressed," and you know, and and the, the more you agree with that position, and the more you fucking stay at home, uh, away from the sun, and just by yourself, the more likely that you're going to be vulnerable to that message, right? And right. it's it, it is it is a, a gaslighting exercise. I, I, I don't know if there is a, a comparable situation in history. I don't think so, because at this like I saw a, a picture today. Someone, this woman posted on Twitter, and you know she's obviously in an airplane and takes this beautiful picture of the Earth, and is like, uh, you know, this is what's at risk for you know climate change <laughs> and it's like you you wasted 500 gallons of gasoline to go up in an airplane to take a picture to tweet why people shouldn't be driving a fucking pickup truck like that's the hypocrisy <laughs> is that it's being weaponized against the people and it's just like oh no you need to like what they're saying you know in the future is that oh you're gonna have to ration your energy you know you need to do this for the good of everybody otherwise you know we're all gonna die meanwhile like the elite are still flying around in private jets and have not stopped at all uh they're also building house on the coast that they're saying are gonna you know fall off into the ocean so it's like probably stop paying attention to what they're saying and look at what they're doing but yeah i was i was um checking out um a video from uh, tone base whom I recently, <laughs> whom I recently discovered, because I always thought I knew that Tom Base was into trading and all that stuff. So it was, I always expected him. He was just a shit coiner. Uh, but I recently started watching some of his videos, and no, he's into trading, but he's uh, like full on Bitcoiner. And he was um, mentioning that he's super bullish on the price of oil, and his thesis is that uh, the uh, the elites are going to no. Not the elites. I, I, I like that the distinction that uh, that Spetsky has uh -huh. been uh, proposing. Uh, <laughs> that it's the elitists um, who are going to start playing with the price of oil as much as possible because it's a it's a very simple way to curtail uh, human development only for the masses. Whereas the elitists, they can you know with um, an, an oil barrel, uh, two hundred or three hundred, five hundred bucks. Um, who's going to be able to fly just the very, very extreme wealthiest people in the world where the plebs will have to stay at home with their mask at, you know, <laughs> just assuming for anything. <laughs> <laughs> Two masks in the shower. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, precisely. So uh, what else has been on your mind lately, Pablo? We've... I don't know, man. Um, I've been thinking a lot that that uh, this uh, there there is clearly a resonance with the remnant message. Um, so I, I think we need to, um, as individuals, we need to think of if we're going into this transitionary phase, uh, which I think is very clear that we are, because even the elitists are calling for the Great Reset and all this bullshit. Um, we are all going to be one way or the other. We're all going to go through a very transformational uh, phase in our lives. And I've been thinking a lot that if you don't 
um, if you don't have agency, if you don't direct your transformation and you don't prepare for it, you're just at the mercy of the forces that will shape you. Um, so I've been thinking a lot at how can you, so if we, if we use the, uh, the framework of the uh, hero, hero's journey and the hero transformation, um, what, kind of, what kind of things can we do to make sure that at the end of the hero's journey, we are the best or close to the best um, version of ourselves we can possibly be? Like, how can you, if you're going to change, if there's, if the, um, there are going to be a lot of um, exogenous impacts on your life, how can you make sure that you are ready to, to, well, <laughs> to become anti-fragile in front of, in front of those uh, forces, to, to use them for your own growth and not to become a, you know, like my friend here, right? That the, the climber that I was mentioning about, uh, just just now. How can you make sure that you don't yield to those factors and become a, a more scared person? I think it's both ways. Um, it's a double-edged sword. I think there are people like your friend, you know, that are sort of beaten into submission and they relent on what they previously had, you know, what they thought was reality. Uh, because they've just been lied to so much. And then there's also the people on the other end that, you know, get pushed to the extreme of they develop almost like a hatred, which is not the not the right thing to do either. Like I I understand uh that side a little a little bit more. Um mm-hmm. but yeah. not that's not the right that's not how we make it through this. And you know, moving to the other extreme is not the solution either. So you have to find a way to like we were talking about this uh last week to sort of channel that like if whether whatever it is like for me a lot of it's like rage um and channel Mm -hmm. that rage but in a productive way to where it motivates you to you know whether it's go to the gym you know to focus on your mental health and meditate and some of these things uh because that's the only way we make it through this if we like or you just have to completely opt out to the point where you just don't pay attention to the world. But I don't think that's the right answer either. Like we have to still be. I mean, I, I think I think there's a lot of merit to the uh, don't pay attention to, you know, some of these things. Uh, but it's undeniable that there is going to be a lot of um, battles and fights that are going to be taken to your doorstep and you just simply cannot cannot withdraw from them um so yeah i mean my 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 take is so for example what what you were saying about the rage how how do you make sure that in 10 years you're not a bitter person or you know you don't develop some qualities that you don't want in your in yourself are you asking me like I have the answer? No, I'm just <laughs> definitely not. Well, I mean, yeah, if you do, but <laughs> um, no, I'm just, I'm just, I, I just think that that's something that each individual has to, uh, or at least myself. <laughs> Agreed. I, I think <laughs> it's, it's, a vo- it's a voluntary thing, uh, but it's a, a, what each individual I think has to realize that we are going to all, all of us individually, we're going to change. Um, so how can you make sure that? that change is uh is the most positive change you can possibly make yeah and 
so we, you can use this as like the motivating force uh, to inflict that positive change too. And you and we see that all the like this is like you said Bitcoin or Satoshi's greatest invention. Like they're they're spreading this. It's just like it's like sort of illuminating um, with just how much they want to change the world for the better. Um, and that's I mean I I feel like. I don't know if I have the answer to how to, you know, because it's something that we're wrestling with, like, in real time. And, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not yeah. trying to uh, come off like I'm the wisest person in the world. Like, I'm in my mid-20s. But this is a, you know, it's a unique time in history. And there are many ways it can, you know, sort of, like, it's chaos theory in real time. Like, it could drive people to, like you said, to depression and possibly suicide if you let it. You also have to find a way to like wrestle with it in a healthy manner and let it make you better. Absolutely. I mean, um, so the uh, Spain went through a, through a, a war in the uh, 30s and um, they ended up going to fascism for 40 years. So obviously that period um, shaped the... The, um, the frameworks that most people in society use. And you can see that even to this day, uh, people have some qualities um, that maybe they, they are not desirable. They wouldn't choose it, you know, but they went through a transformational process and the individuals were shaped in a way um, that are probably detrimental to, 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 to them, you know. Um, so, for example, in, in my experience, and of course, this is a, 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 a generalization, but um, usually people in Spain, there's a, there's an ethos of being very scared of change, you know. Um, and after 40 years of fascism, it, you know, you can you can easily beat out. Um, uh, a characteristic of society at large. And I would think that maybe that's not a uh, desirable quality, a desirable characteristic to uh, confront life with fear, you know, fear as your default mode. Right. And it seems like a lot of society is defaulting to fear as the motivator or guilt as a motivator instead of like positive change in their life as a motivator. And they could, you know, basically we're living through what they're saying is the worst health crisis in human history. And, you know, how many people have really taken the responsibility to, like, change their own bodies? I'd say it's a very, very small percentage of society. Yeah, absolutely. I, I uh, so I spent uh, two weekends ago, I spent uh, the weekend with, uh, with a few Bitcoiners friends and, um, and we went there with my with my wife and, and my daughter. And on the way back, my my wife and I we were discussing um, just the nature of um, the collectivist and the uh, and the individualist. And we were thinking, what, why are some people uh, more inclined to collectivism and to top down solutions? One of the ideas we floated that I think has some merit is that. Um, she's, she's my, my wife, she's a psychologist, um, and she does a type of, um, 
therapy and approach to psychology that is very, very aligned, very well aligned with Bitcoin. Uh, it's called ACT. <laughs> Funnily enough, it's called ACT. <laughs> um, and and she, she was telling me that in, in therapy, one of the things that affects um, how people behave is how throughout their development, developmental process uh, when they were kids, how much change they felt they were able to impose in their surroundings, and that ends up developing agency. So, if, um, so the idea was that if a kid, when they're growing up, they do something and their surroundings don't adapt to, to, that, uh, to that action, the kid starts learning that they are a passive observer of reality and they are not, um, they are not shaping uh, reality. And, and we were thinking that if, what if it's a matter of showing people that what they do in life matters at the end. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, top, just top downs or it doesn't have to be at all top down solutions, but it's every single decision is at the edge and it's at the, at the individual level. This is something I think about a lot as well. And it's, do you, yeah, you basically said it. I don't want to repeat it. Like, but if you believe that you can actually change your life, you know, you, you're more inclined to be on the individualist side. If you believe that the world, if you're just a passive observer and, you know, life is happening around you, you have no control over it. You're probably more inclined to be in the collectivist. Yeah. And when you don't like something in reality, you, you say, well, it's unfair. Yeah. And you, or it's or it's your you fault. Start, it's their fault. It's you know everyone else's fault. fault. And you just go to to change dot org and you sign a petition saying, "Well, someone should do something about my being fat." <laughs> you know. <laughs> so true, man. All right, man. We're getting we're getting close to the end. So, is there anything else you wanna you wanna touch on before we before we finish? Um, no, not really. I think we covered it. So, Pablo, thank you so much for your time. Uh, do you want to link people to any of your work or your Twitter? Or uh, Yeah, just, just follow me on Twitter. Uh, for the time being, I'm uh, Pablo F7Z, which is a horrible, horrible, misguided handle. It's, uh, <laughs> the doxing is embedded in the handle. It's <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'm thinking about changing it, but I haven't. Haven't made up my mind on what uh, name to use. So for the timing, yeah, it's Pablo F7Z. I'll make sure to give everybody the link so they can find you. Awesome. All right, man. Thank you so much for your time as always. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you, man. Appreciate it. All right.